John the Apostle has been describing for us the, the faces of evil behind the system of the coming world, one world government, one world economy, one world religion. In chapter 12, we've been given the truth of the red dragon, another title for Satan, whose thirst for blood and killing will take center stage, no more masquerading as an angel of light. He is exposed as a killer, a hater of Jews, Christians, anybody that would follow the God of Abraham. In Revelation 13, we were introduced then to two men who will be enabled and empowered by the dragon to carry out his ultimate mission. By the way, it transcends the killing of Jews and Christians. It is to receive the worship of the entire world. That's what he's after. That's what he's longed for ever since his fall from heaven. And these two men will do his bidding, and they're going to see it come to pass. The first man revealed to us in chapter 13 is the Antichrist, called the first beast. He rises to power among other European leaders and nations surrounding the Mediterranean Sea. The prophecy of Daniel finally comes to pass as the revived Roman Empire takes form and the coalition allows the Antichrist to take leadership. He will be prime minister, president, and potentate all rolled up into into one dictator. Then we were introduced to the second man, the false preacher or priest, the false prophet, And he is the minister of propaganda with delegated power. He is going to be able to mesmerize the world by his amazing signs and wonders, his miracle-working power, and the message he will attach to his power that authenticates himself supposedly as being a representative of the true God is, you are now to worship the Antichrist. The Antichrist is God incarnate. Worship him. This will occur during the period of time known as the Tribulation. The seven-year period following the rapture of the church by Jesus Christ. And when will the rapture happen, you ask? Well, you're going to have to watch some other preacher on TV tell you when. I don't know. I will tell you it's soon. That's as good as I can give you. We're not told, but we are told that it could happen at any moment. And when it does, it'll happen in the twinkling of an eye. Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, 52. We know the apostles were all waiting for it. Paul thought he'd be alive when it happened, 1 Thessalonians 4.17. Peter thought the creation of the new heaven and earth was just around the corner, 2 Peter 3.13. John, the apostle, believed he was living in the last hour, 1 John 2.18. In every generation of true believers, there is the anticipation of the rapture of the church. And those Christians who don't believe the rapture will take place before the tribulation, they're going to be really happy when they find out it was true after all. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, by the way, the same body of believers to whom he revealed the details of the rapture. In his letter, Paul commended them for being committed to Christ, so much so that he says, you have put away your idols to serve the true and living God and to wait for his son from heaven. This was the topic of the church, their conversation. Maybe today, this was the burning hope in their hearts. Even John ends the book of Revelation, the record of his vision. He gets all the way to the end of it in Revelation twenty two twenty, and he ends it by saying, Come, Lord Jesus. That's how he ends it. It's so moving. John has seen it all in his vision 
He sees the coming wrath. He sees the, the rise of the Antichrist. He, he sees the coming Armageddon. He sees the, 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 the coming kingdom. He sees the final judgments. He sees the creation of the new heaven and, and the new earth. He sees, he's given a vision, or he's actually given a tour of, of what the believer has in store. And no wonder he ends the book of Revelation by saying, Come, Lord Jesus. Let's get to the next plan, part of the plan. Let's go to the next stage. I got to tell you, friends, I cannot help but believe we are nearing that day. I will tell you this personal note while studying the text of Revelation 12 and 13, I have been inundated with illustration after illustration of how the table is being set for the coming tribulation and all that follows it. And of course, believing the rapture clearly taught in Scripture takes place before that, then that would even be sooner. The conditions are as ripe as ever for the upward call of Christ and the unveiling of a one-world government and a one-world religion in our generation. Now listen, I believe the tribulation scene is nearly prepared in, in my view. Which leads me to say, again, if you're here without a reservation for the coming glory of heaven paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ shed for you and in his singular work of atonement which you place your faith in, believing he is the living Lord, if you haven't done that, my challenge to you today is run to the cross. Run there. Don't wait. You remember Mikhail Gorbachev? The president of the former Soviet Union, Gorbachev, Gorbachev, however you want to say it. He said this in Madrid, Spain, after 9-11. The victims of the September 11 attack on the United States will not have died in vain if world leaders use the crisis to create a new world order. There we have that phrase again. He says, if we act as we did after September 11, uniting efforts of fighting against terrorism, if we maintain this coalition, we will not only prevent a new Cold War, but we could get a new world order that is so desirable for all of us. Not me. We read the text, this world is headed for a fiery ball, and the judgment of God, and then the creation of a new earth, and new heaven. Why that kind of statement? Because the world is clamoring for some semblance of peace. The world certainly is clamoring now more than ever for a world leader, a united coalition, a united world order, a global world system like never before. Because of that, in this series of studies and all of these illustrations, many of of, of them I've shared with you. I not only want to warn the unbeliever to come to faith in Christ alone, but sound the warning to the church to be more discerning than ever. John the Apostle wrote that the spirit of Antichrist is ever present. And it will culminate in the final coming Antichrist, the deceiver. First and second John are filled with the warnings about Antichrist. The Antichrists are those who deny Christ is God incarnate. He's somebody else. He's a master teacher. He's a good man. He's the next prophet in line and all of that. But he's not the exclusive savior of the world. Now you're really treading deep water there. These are deceivers and liars 
John wrote in 1 John 2.22 and 2 John 1.7. Think about it. For the Hindu to abandon his 3,000 gods in order for the Buddhists to stop praying for the, the arrival of the fifth Buddha, in order for the Muslim to forget Muhammad, move past him, in order for the world to effectively abandon their gods and their traditions and their religions and their prophets, things would have to become so convoluted and so confusing and so desperate spiritually that somebody, anybody, with any semblance of spiritual power and with some answer authenticated by that power would be followed without reservation. How about a guy that we studied in our last session who comes along and says, let me bring down fire from heaven to prove I am truly representing God. The world will be ready. Are we there now or what? If we are indeed the last generation in the church prior to the rapture, we ought to be as passionate as the early believers who thought they were too. Living in these last days, perhaps before the coming deceiver, wouldn't you assume if that were the case, as Satan tries to read the signs of this generation, he doesn't know the date of the rapture any more than we do, but he's clever. He has a global system of communication. Wouldn't you assume that the enemy of the church would unleash a fresh onslaught of diversions and distractions and dilutions among those who believe Christ is the Savior of the world? In order for people to be set up for deception, it would be best if they were ignorant of the Bible, right? Is our culture ever more ignorant of the Bible than today? They must not believe in the authority of Scripture, right? They must be led to doubt the uniqueness of the Bible and the inspiration of it through its author and the prophets he selected. This is a description of our generation. Inside the church, as well as outside. If there was ever a time when the church needed to get the gospel right, it would be today. And as far as I can tell you, the church in our generation is now beginning to unravel the basic beliefs of the gospel, the most fundamental parts of it, that have been accepted by the Reformed Church, the church after the Reformation, now for some 500 years. Now in my ministry, over the last 25 to 30 years, uh, the enemy has attacked the foundations of doctrine like never before in the past 500. And, and not, from, not from without, but as Paul warned the Ephesian elders by false teachers within the church. Now, ladies and gentlemen, Satan most often, as I've said before, does not attack a church. He joins it. And ever so quietly, as the apostle wrote, secretly, quietly, subversively distorts the gospel ever so much so that you ultimately have as you progress along that line the ultimate denial of the gospel and is that ever happening today I've given you several illustrations of the emergent church I'll give you a few more here one pseudo church leader who's effectively distorted the gospel has quite a following you can buy his books at the Christian bookstore from his uh, interview in a Christian magazine actually in, in his book he said this I can't find one place in the teachings of Jesus, or the Bible for that matter, where we are to identify ourselves as sinners, first and foremost. 
Now, this doesn't mean we don't sin. That's obvious. But the greatest truth of the story of Adam and Eve isn't that it happened, but that it happens. The greatest truth of the story of Adam and Eve is that they sinned and that we do too? I don't think so. The greatest truth about the story of Adam and Eve is that they sinned and God atoned for their sin and forgave them. That's the glorious truth. The the greatest truth about the fall of man is that God moves to redeem fallen sinners. That word becomes more and more unpopular the further down the road we get. I I evaluated Rob Bell's statement there in the light of Paul's own testimony. Let me read you again what he said and then I'll, I'll go to the Bible, which is a great place to go. Here's what he said. I can't find one place in the teaching of Jesus and the Bible, for that matter, where we are to identify ourselves first and foremost as sinners. Now listen to Paul, who said, It is a trustworthy statement, deserving of full acceptance. In other words, everybody ought to think this way and feel this way. Full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came in the world, came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. Foremost. It sounds to me like Paul was identifying himself first and foremost as a sinner. In fact, Paul wrote it this way in another text. This is the demonstration of the love of God, how that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The greatest truth about sin is not that it happened or that it happens to me. The greatest truth about sin is that Christ bore it on his body on the tree that we being dead to sin could live into righteousness. 1 Peter 2.24. Ever so slightly twisting the gospel. A colleague of Bill, I've quoted him before in our sessions in this particular text, they fit well within this inclusive universalism. It's a man by the name of Brian McLaren who distorted the gospel even further. He wrote this, and I quote, In the Bible, the word save means rescue. It emphatically does not mean save from hell or give eternal life after death, as many preachers seem to imply in sermon after sermon. And all the people said, Amen. Yes, uh, and all the people said, Amen. And I will imply it over and over again. Save, he said, means get out of trouble. That trouble could be sickness, war, poverty, imprisonment, or any kind of danger, end quote. Ladies and gentlemen, that is not the gospel. In fact, if to be saved means you get out of the trouble of sickness or poverty, how come Christians get the flu and run out of money? If getting saved means we are delivered out of imprisonment, then the apostle Paul is in double trouble because he spent most of his life impoverished and the last few years of his life imprisoned. This is the twisting of the truth. And this is the beginning of a new era of apostasy evident in our church today, so much so that Christian publishers are publishing this nonsense and it's being purchased. I could go on and on and on. In fact, I am going to go on and on just a little bit longer here today. Let me say this. Listen, for the false preacher, the false prophet, to come along in Revelation 13 and basically convince the world to worship the Antichrist less than four years after the church is raptured could mean, it could mean that the church as a mainline institution has abandoned the truth of the gospel and an illiterate world biblically is a sitting duck for the deceiver. Where was the church? As Tozer said, the church was limping from one gimmick 
to another like so many drunks in a fog. The average evangelical church has been putting on a show to court the seeker for the last 30 years in my ministry. It all began. He hasn't caught him, by the way. In an effort to make the church more comfortable for the unbeliever, the church has effectively stopped believing anything uncomfortable and certainly communicating it. So is it any wonder that our own culture is now entrenched more than ever in Eastern religions and cults than at any time before? And at the same time, the number of churches representing mainline denominations where so many of them have Ichabod written over the door anyway, they're dead. But they're closing their doors at a rate of three to five churches every single day in this country. In America now, a mosque is completed every 30 days. There are now more Muslims in America than Episcopalians. Not that Episcopalians or any denomination have the answer. My contention is that institutionally the organized church may very well have abandoned the gospel and the world will be ripe for the coming final deceiver. How could it happen that they would follow him? I mean, how do you go from a church on earth, true believers raptured, and then in less than four years we now have the world in Revelation 13 bowing before a statue representing the Antichrist claiming that he is God. How does the world fall for a talking image and a fire-bringing prophet? The Apostle Paul tells us how. Listen to this text. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting their ears massaged, tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teachers who condone their own desires. That's how. They get teachers who tell them, live however you want to live. You're fine. Don't worry about sin, judgment, hell. Just have a great day. And we'll turn away their ears from the truth and we'll turn aside to myths. In other words, there's going to be such great confusion in the latter days that people will turn away from the truth of sound doctrine and fall head over heels in love with the latest fad, the latest myth, the latest God. So preceding, the deception of the false prophet. You have a confused world and a confused, wandering religious system as well. Even religious leaders would become morally neutral and spiritually confused. Now, is that a description of our culture today or what? That's us. One of my staff pastors sent me this email this week. As you may know, the African branch of the Anglican Church is more solid biblically than its American counterpart now. I don't know if you knew that. The litmus test, as we've watched it unfold in the news, is the ordination of practicing homosexuals to leadership in the church. One interesting exchange occurred at a conference about 24 months ago between John Shelby Spong, an Episcopalian bishop who long ago apostatized, uh, and African bishops within the denomination. Now, at this particular conference... Bishop Spong was trying to convince the African leaders to give up their views and accept homosexual leaders in the church. The African bishops, on the other hand, were holding fast. They were refusing to budge based on scripture. Finally, in a moment of frustration, this article said, Bishop Spong lashed out at them with, 
The reason the, the, the African bishops believe the Bible so literally is because they have been so recently converted from paganism. To which the bishop from Uganda responded, the reason Bishop Spong does not believe the Bible is because he has so recently been converted to paganism. <laughs> the tragedy is, this is leadership in the church. If it has paralyzed the church, where does the world go for a moral anchor for the truth? If the church is no longer salt and light, society will decay even quicker than before and there will be no demonstration of the truth of Christ and the gospel of our Lord. And so the world will wander even more quickly and become so confused so much so that, as I read this week, I Love Lucy cannot be put on prime time because they smoke. But you can have gratuitous sex on primetime TV. How confused is that? I read another illustration of our world's moral confusion. There was a discrimination lawsuit filed against eHarmony about 24 months ago, and it's just now become news. They finally reached a a response. The article read, online dating service eHarmony has responded to a discrimination lawsuit by agreeing to launch a new site for same-sex singles. It's going to be called Compatible Partners. According to chairman and founder, former evangelical psychologist Neil Warren and Anton Johnson, the company's vice president of legal affairs, eHarmony will now, and I quote, welcome all single individuals who are genuinely seeking long-term relationships. My friends, if there was ever a day when the world is primed for somebody to deceive it into believing a lie, if there was ever a generation ready to embrace something, some kind of anchor, whether it be a new world religion, a global economy, it's our generation today. All right, with that introduction in mind, let's go to the text And let's discover the final act of enslavement where the Antichrist finally captures and conquers the world. Now thus far in our study, in chapter 13, we've seen the false priest, preacher performing signs and wonders. That's verses 12 and 13, if you were with us. The next few verses reveal him setting up a statue and uh, giving it life miraculously, thus further deceiving people. The world will now flock to Jerusalem to worship the image as the Jews scatter and run for their lives. Now the world is primed and ready for the next step of global deception. Let me break it down into three parts if you're taking notes. Number, number one, three aspects here of these, this last conquering, so to speak, of the world. Number one is the global physical surrender to the Antichrist. Global physical surrender. Surrender. Look at verse 16 where we left off in our last study. And he causes all, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free men and the slaves, to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. Now you've heard of the mark of the beast, haven't you? Well, this is the origin of that terminology. It's true. It will happen. And I want you to notice, first off, there's a lot of things we're going to see here, but I want you to notice, first off, the global sweep of this decree. John, in verse 16, refers to the small and the great. 
Uh, that's every social category, the untouchables in India to the royal family in England. This is going to hit everybody. John adds the rich and the poor. This is every economic category on uh, the planet. This is the poorest of the poor. This is the, 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 the poor person. Uh, this is uh, from, from that kind of poverty all the way to, to the billionaire on Wall Street. Or I should say the former billionaire on, on Wall Street. Uh, the Antichrist doesn't care if you're rich or poor, well-bred or disowned. He wants your worship. John adds then that last phrase, the free men and the slaves. This is every cultural category. So you have every social category, every economic category, and every cultural category. Basically what he's saying is everybody. This is a long way of basically saying there's no loophole, nobody gets out, everybody's going to be given this decree. Every human being, except those who believe in Christ after the rapture, are going to receive this mark on their body. Now you might notice, back in that verse again, that, that this is given to them either on their right hand or their forehead. Now in the Bible, the Antichrist, and again, the Antichrist is mimicking uh, the Bible. The right hand is the symbol of strength. And the forehead is the most conspicuous part of the body. For some of us, it's even more conspicuous than, than others. Now in Revelation 7, we read about God marking the forehead of his 144,000 evangelists. You remember they were from the tribes of Israel. They were marked and they, they, wouldn't, they, they couldn't die. The, the Antichrist couldn't kill them. So now that this copycat is at it again. He's going to mark his servants just as God marked his. And he's going to put a mark on their forehead. He's going to give them an option, either the right hand representing their authority or strength or their forehead. Now the word mark... Charagma was immediately understood by John's audience, not so much by us. So let me slow down for a minute and tell you what's happening. In the Roman Empire, slaves were given a charagma, sometimes a stigma. We get that word that we use now even to this day. They were branded. Uh, it proved that they were the property of that particular estate. In fact, that carried all the way through. It's still being done in many countries today. It was done on our, in our own country until the slaves were emancipated, branded to show they belonged to the estate. Horrible practice. Soldiers would often voluntarily brand themselves with the name of their general as a statement of loyalty, as a statement that we are willing to die for this man and this man's cause. There are several other illustrations. I'll just give you one more. In, in the world of commercial enterprise, every contract of commercial enterprise was stamped with the name of the emperor and the current date. This, this indicated, this declared that that commercial activity upheld the name and the authority of the emperor. So John's readers got it immediately. The Antichrist is placing his mark on his slaves. They are his property. Furthermore, his slaves are marked with his name to declare that they are willing to give their lives for him. They're loyal to him. And, and even further still, they're, they're saying that, listen, nothing is going to happen commercially. Our whole lives, our hopes, our dreams are bound up to uphold the name of our emperor. Now, lest some think that this future mark of the beast is a chip placed under the skin you go back to your text and you notice the Bible uses very clear terminology translated well in your Bible to inform us that this mark will be on, upon, 
the right hand or the forehead. It's clearly intended to be visible. It's, it's intended to be seen, obvious. And now, let me add this, lest anybody thinks that, that everybody on the planet is, is forced uh, into doing this. The decree is there, certainly, and if you don't, you know, it's bad news. But I want you to know the Greek language presents a very different picture here of those who receive it. It's not like there's a gun to their head and if they don't get it, they're dead. The language indicates that they are rushing to get it. They want to get it. They want to have it. They long to have it. They willingly give up that right hand or the forehead. Please give me the name of my emperor. That's the language here. This is going to be a great day for the world. They think it's the pinnacle of their their, their sovereign emperor. Of course I'll bear his name. They'll press forward to receive it at their places of of worship. They're going to be thrilled. They're going to bear the mark of their emperor like a soldier wears his medals of honor. They're, they're, going, to, they're going to bear like a, like a professional athlete, even down to Little League, wears their jersey with great pride. This is the, the pride of a patriot who carries the flag of his country. They're going to want the rest of the world to know, I follow him, I belong to him, I uphold his name. Everything about my life, every commercial activity is to honor him. Here, please, give me the mark. Can you imagine? What they don't realize is that they've been deceived. The dragon, through the Antichrist and his minister of propaganda, has done nothing less than turn the world into a global concentration camp and now all of the inmates are numbered. And in less than 36 months, most of them will be dead. Now obviously, Satan wants people to you know, bear the name of his false Messiah and he's going to be all excited about that. He's going to get worship, but he really has something else behind that that he's after, isn't he? Doesn't he have something? It's to flush out the remaining believers so he can kill them. This is his, this is the motive. This is the main issue behind what seems to be the main issue. So this is not only going to involve a global physical surrender to the Antichrist, but the second aspect is this is a a global economic stranglehold by the Antichrist. Look at verse 17. The text tells us, and he provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. And we're going to talk in a minute about what it means, the number of his name. Uh, But for now, notice the Antichrist is going to shut down any financial activity by those who are not proud citizens of the new world order. I mean, if you're not loyal to the emperor, if you're not really fitting into this scene, if you're not a loyal patriot, you have no right to benefit from it. You don't belong in it. So... We're going to see you starve. You can't buy anything. Whether it's buying food or buying medicine or putting gas into your car, you're stuck and you have nowhere to hide. Now, how's he going to pull this off? Well, we don't know. And every generation probably had to struggle through it as expositors got up and explained the text. I think for us, it's not as much of a stretch as it was for preachers I heard even Uh, 30 and 40 years ago, in times past, one author said the idea of a mark 
that would individually identify everybody in the world for governmental control seemed a a far-fetched fantasy possible only in science fiction. But no one today, however, questions the possibility of such an identification process. Does anybody here doubt that it could happen? Not at all. It's possible that everyone who receives the mark will be given some of the latest technology that has already been in the market for some time that identifies them, and not only that, it tracks them. Several authors I've researched pointed out the latest in personal identification systems. One caught my eye. It talked about the first human tests of a small microchip. In fact, this was back in 2002. Uh, The size of a grain of rice implanted underneath the skin that tracks these people. Business Week Online referred to the developments of digital angel technology. I thought it was interesting. It was called Digital Angel. Uh, at any rate, it represents the first ever combination of advanced sensors, web-enabled wireless telecommunications, linked to global positioning systems. By using advanced sensor capabilities, Digital Angel is able to monitor ambient temperature and physical movement. For those who have the chip, and they're giving these to Alzheimer's patients, they're putting it on cattle, it has wonderful benefits of protection and safety. It, It saves uh, from theft. So it has wonderful benefits. But it's going to integrate biosensors and virus sensors, whatever they are, wireless communications and GPS technology. It'll be able to read your heart rate, your temperature, your blood pressure, your pulse, and blood chemistry. Because this technology is networked with the Internet and the GPS systems, your information can be sent instantly to your doctor from wherever you are on the planet. Now listen, listen. These chips are not the mark of the beast. Okay, If it comes out tomorrow and you want to put it on your, your, your dog so that if it strays, that doesn't mean you've given your dog to the Antichrist. He may belong to him already. I don't know. <laughs> your, your bird, um, definitely. Go ahead and put it in there. That, that, that thing's lost. But you can track it. You can decide whether to go get it. Because that's, that's fine. You, you haven't succumbed. You haven't given over to, to the Antichrist. That's not it at all. The mark of the beast is not your social security number. It's not some national ID number. Uh, or any other number. The mark of the beast is his number. It's his name. And there will come a time when people will decide, will they take his name? It's not like some kind of secret. And if you get that chip, oh, maybe I've been tricked and now I belong to the Antichrist. That's not, that's not it at all. And remember, by the way, this is going to be inaugurated after we're where? In heaven. And even for those who've accepted Christ living through the tribulation, it's not going to be some sleight of hand where the next thing you know they've gotten some kind of tattoo or some kind of chip and now they belong to the Antichrist and they really didn't want to belong to him. They belong to Christ. That isn't going to happen. It's going to be a conscious decision. And these people, the world with great joy, will take his name. One more comment about this tracking system that perhaps the Antichrist might use to flush people out who don't go along with his system or have received his name in some way. They're now developing radio frequency identification tags going on or in almost everything made. Retailers are now using these. It, it helps against theft, shoplifting. In fact, I was reading this past week about grocery carts that are being designed that will automatically scan items you put in there. So you put in your, your gallon of milk and it'll scan the price. You put in your, you know, your, your box of chocolate-covered donuts and it'll, it'll honk at you until you take them out. See, that's my nightmare. <laughs> That's what I'm afraid it'll do. Toes it all up. There may come a day when you just swipe your cart across your grocery cart. You go on out to your car. It'd be wonderful technology. Again, it's not the mark of the beast. It's only technology that will allow, I believe, the beast to track everybody and do what we here see, shutting down economy 
any kind of purchasing for those who do not have his name. RFID systems, radio frequency identification systems, it's interesting, now they've designed ink that carries the ability electronically to read, or it has embedded in the ink, the tracking system, which has even further implications, so that if you had his name, perhaps that name could have embedded in it all that was necessary to track you in his very ink. Well, what will all this technology do one day? Well, in the new world order, it will enable one man to virtually control commerce, put a stranglehold on commerce. And only those, John 13, verse 17 says, only those who have given their loyalty and allegiance to him will be able to buy or sell. So we have a a global physical surrender to the Antichrist. We have a global economic stranglehold in these days by the Antichrist. One more. We have global spiritual supremacy of the Antichrist. Look at verse 18. Verse 18 reads, Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. 666. Just the sound of it makes you think of the devil, doesn't it? 666. It even hisses like the serpent. In the Bible, numbers can be both figurative and literal at the same time. We think of the number three that way. It's a number that represents our triune God. The number seven is a number in the scriptures that represents perfection, perhaps completeness. The number one represents unity. I read a text earlier. We're one body. There's one Lord. Represents unique singularity and unity. Number six represents man. Like we're told here, it represents, it's the number of a man. Man was created on the sixth day. The triple designation of the number six, I think does have figurative meaning. It figuratively indicates the Antichrist's attempt at mimicking the triune God. Six, six, six. He is the triune false God. He is the triune man. He claims to be God, but he's just a goat. He would like to be seven, 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 triple perfection, but he is only six, six, six. He is simply a man failing three times over. Some suggest that that's all the number means. It's just figurative. I believe it's also a literal designation, the way John talks about having insight in order to calculate the number. He's saying add it up. So I think there's a literal designation here. The total sum of his name is 666. Let me explain. Now this is uh, what many evangelical Bible scholars believe to be the one clear example of geometria in the Bible. The Greek word geometria or geometria gives us our transliterated word what? My favorite subject. It wasn't my favorite subject, but you're right. It's geometry. The practice of geometria tracks all the way back to John and centuries before the Hebrew letters, Greek letters, Latin letters were all given numerical values. And by using certain letters, then you could also represent a certain numerical figure. 
And by the way, this is one of the reasons people thought Hitler was the Antichrist. H had a numerical value. I has a numerical value. T has a numerical value, at least in the English language. It all totaled up to 666. When you added up the numerical attributes of those letters, you got the sum of 666. The trouble is here in this text, we're not told what language to calculate in. Is it Hebrew? Is it Latin? Is it Greek? Is it German? Is it Italian? Is it French? We're not told which language it is. Even still, and and further confusing, is the fact that you can have all sorts of combinations of letters to get to the sum of 666. And let me illustrate it for you this way. If we give a numerical value to certain letters, let's just do this as as an illustration. If A equals 1, B equals 2, C equals I want to make sure you're awake here. This is exciting. I know this is thrilling for you to come to church to get this. Uh, D equals, and, and so forth. Okay, now we want to get to the sum total using letters of six. We could use two A's and one D, and we'd have six. We could, however, use one C, one B, and one A, and get six. We could also use two C's. Reminds me of my report card growing up. Okay? And we'd get six. All the combinations just to get to a single six. Imagine how many combinations you could have to get to 666. Gematria was discovered by archaeologists in Pompeii, interestingly enough. One man had written on the wall... I love her, whose number is 545. That wasn't her phone number. Basically, what he was saying is her letters add up to that. He both concealed her identity to those who didn't know her and revealed her identity to those who did. That's sort of what you have happening here. Here's the challenge. Since many different letters can equal six. 166. It's impossible to figure the name out in advance. It's a puzzle. It's a puzzle from our creative God. And some of you aren't going to be able to sleep tonight because there's a puzzle in the Bible that you can't figure out. It'll be figured out in the tribulation, which means you don't want to figure it out, right? (laughs) You don't want to be part of the group that figures it out who has insight. So don't try to guess now. Come across all sorts of guesses. Henry Kissinger added up to 666. So did John F. Kennedy. So did Lyndon Johnson. So did Ronald Reagan. In fact, they came across one author who said that Bill Gates III, those numerical values, those letters, equals 666. And so does Windows 95. (laughs) And you're probably thinking, that explains it. I knew the devil was in my computer. Now, don't waste your imagination on the puzzle. It's going to give confirmation to those who are living through it that this one is indeed the false Messiah. That's one puzzle we won't be around to solve. So what does the church do in the meantime? While we, like the Thessalonians, wait for the upward call of Christ. Well, in light of our deceived world, in light of so many false teachers distorting the gospel, In light of moral values and absolutes that are being washed down the sewer, the good news is the mission of the body of Christ 
is not a puzzle. It hasn't changed. It's been the same since its inception in the first century. We're to go and make disciples. Bring along followers of Christ, the true Messiah. Baptize them, identify them publicly through water. Teach them to observe all I've commanded you, Jesus Christ said. And then he said, and by the way, I am with you always, even to the end of this age. And the upward call. Here's our mission. I think best spoken by one search and rescue team in Colorado. They put it this way, and I quote, millions of people visit the mountains of Larimer County, Colorado every year. A few will become lost, stranded, injured, and some will die. Our objective is to find and rescue these lost or injured people before it's too late. We are dedicated to saving lives. Wouldn't it be great if the church had that as its motto? Not, we don't know what the word save means anymore. No, here's what it means. Be saved from the wrath of God. Be saved by the Savior who can deliver you from sin and judgment and save you unto himself forever. And we ought to be reveling in the glory and grace of God who's revealed that truth to us, opened our eyes, and we today worship him, our great Savior.